name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. We give thanks today for the great solemnity of the Apostles, St. Peter and St. Paul, who completely transformed the entire Roman Empire and brought us now to this feast today of ancient origin. And the date of June 29th was selected either because of their deaths or because of the transition of their relics. And as you know, there are relics of St. Peter in St. Peter's Basilica, and there are also remains or relics of St. Paul in the great Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls. And both those great basilicas have a confessio, that is a place where, where the, the relics are placed and on which the entire basilica is built. One can go there to the confessio, be closer to the relics, pray there, and humbly ask for the grace to, to be faithful to the faith that St. That Paul and St. Peter received, because they are really pillars of the, of the church. It seems they met first for the first time in Antioch under the Emperor Nero's Rome, and they died there under Nero as martyrs. Not the same year, but quite likely the same day, the same calendar day. It is today you will see in the Acts of the Apostles how we are told about Herod, who had James executed by the sword. And since this was pleasing to the Jews, he thought, well, that's pleasing to the Jews, I might as well go and execute Peter as well. You can imagine the hostility in the air that must have been present if you kill somebody and it makes other people happy. It makes the Jews happy and please them. I mean, that is a sign of the level of hostility that the faith had to face in the early, in the early years. We know also, of course, from today's, from today's reading that uh, Peter was put into a maximum security prison, locked up under two guards on either side. He was in chains, and there was another, another guard outside the wall. Those details that we get from the reading suggest that this was really a first-hand account from Peter himself, and how how the story must have been retold and retold, because in that moment, there he was in an, in a, in an impossible breakout situation. An angel comes and 
that angel, well, for him, it's not a problem. You've got two guards, you've got handcuffs, you've got another guard outside, you've got uh, security cameras everywhere, but for angels, well, no problem. I'll take care of it. It's like a scene from a breakout movie. I mean, I think there are, there's one movie, uh, with Sylvester Stallone, where he manages to get out of any prison he wants. So, that's why there's nothing like a little help from your friends, especially when they're angels. And as the angel gave Peter these instructions, Peter started to get up. And as he's going through the motions of getting up, and the shackles fall, and he goes down this staircase, and he goes up here, and down this street. He thought it was all a dream. He didn't think it was real. He passed several guards. He even passed an iron prison gate. It just opened on its own, just like that. Boom. There must be other angels. You know, there were other accomplices and they were doing the, the, the gates. But at the very moment that he was out in the street, everything came clear that this was, in fact, real. And he had to get out and go and confirm his brethren. That was the first thing he had to do. I have to go and play my role as the vicar of Christ and confirm my brethren. He didn't have to go. He didn't feel he had to go and, and, and sort of get to a safe place where he won't be caught. No, no, I have to go and confirm my brethren. Already there, that sense of responsibility made him fearless. First, he was in a dream and completely oblivious. Now, he was fearless. But also freedom from being paralyzed or locked in by fear. Fear from his responsibilities. Fear from his apostolate. And we must think today that God can liberate us from any fear, from every fear that enslaves us, so that we can be truly free to be apostles in the middle of the world, in this hyper-secularized world that we're in. And in today's uh, liturgy, the celebration expresses this truth. It does so very well in the responsorial psalm that we will recite together. The Lord has freed me from all my fears. Ex omnibus terroribus eripuit me dominus. It sounds more scary in Latin. Ex omnibus terroribus. I don't know. Fears. Nah, we have fears. But terrors? There's a building that's falling, it's on. It's in flames, I'm in terror. But even from that, the Lord will free me. Of course, Paul too had been given the grace to overcome his fear, to walk with a, with a clear plan. He, he gave himself up totally to this mission he had to the Gentiles. As he said to his letter to, the Tim, to St. Timothy, being poured out like a libation and the time of my departure is at hand. I have completed well, I have completed the task, I have finished the race, I 
have kept the faith. The, the central core of what he believed to be his purpose was to keep the faith. And of course, he too ended up in prison. God was with the apostles every step of the way, throughout good times and bad times. He's with us too in our divine vocation. But both of both Peter and Paul ended up in Rome. Both died in Rome. That's why when bishops go to Rome, they call it a visita ad limina, the visit to the threshold of the apostles. Ad limina apostolorum, they call it. It's a beautiful image that they go to the threshold. They go and cross into some holy area. And often the threshold referred to is both Peter, the, the Basilica of St. Peter in Rome, but also St. Paul outside the walls, because both of them have that confessio, that place where the relics of the apostles are. That's what they, they call it, a limina apostolorum. And many times when a bishop goes, they go, of course, dressed up in their uh, episcopal regalia. But the most moving moment is when they, they go to the confessio and they recognize their own unworthiness to be successors of the apostles. We know that St. Peter was crucified in the circus of Nero around the year 46 AD. Paul arrived a little bit later in Rome and spent two years under house arrest, awaiting his, his uh, appeal to Caesar after he had been arrested in Jerusalem. And we know from Ignatius of Antioch that Paul was eventually beheaded in Rome, also under Nero, probably in the mid-60s. And there's an abbey there called Trefontane, which is uh, slightly outside of Rome. Or anyway, it's in Rome, but it's just, uh, in the, I believe it's in the southern part and, uh, and the reason we celebrate them together is, what, you know, I ask myself that, why do we celebrate Peter and Paul? I mean, yes, they're both uh, important apostles, but why not Peter and James, uh, Peter and John, uh, Paul and John? Well, we know Peter because Peter was the head of the apostles, but why Peter and Paul? Well, I suspect that part of the reason was because, as we read in the uh, Gospels or, or, or the accounts uh, in the Acts of the Apostles and also in the letters from St. Paul, is that there was actually a disagreement between Peter and Paul. They're, they had different visions, and, and at one point even Paul had to, had to sort of correct St. Peter and had to do with how how they were to deal with Jews and, and live the, the dietary laws. And Peter, when he was in the company of the other Jews, he just pretended, it's okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm eating kosher here, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm with you guys. Uh, and, uh, and then when he was with Gentiles, no problem, I'm having this, you know, pork or whatever, you know, I'm, no problem, we are now Christians, we don't do this anymore. So he, he was like kind of living a double game a double play there, 
There seemed to be a lack of unity, acting one way with the Jews, really out of fear, and another way with the Gentiles. And Paul said, I don't like that. That's not good. I don't like that. And he confronted him about this. And, of course, eventually, it's not that they so much reconciled, but they came to, they, they reconciled, but they, they came to embrace each other and form, nevertheless, despite these differences, a unity. And I would suspect also that in the early church, word went around about these differences. And it was the task of the early church to reaffirm their unity. And one of the ways this was done is through iconography. Because in the early church, the early art, and even in the, we see it even in the catacombs, there are many representations of Peter and Paul together. Not just images of Peter and Paul, but images of them embracing. They call it the kiss of peace. Where we see pictures of, of Peter and Paul embracing together, sometimes shown uh, wrapped in chains and held there by, by their enemies. But they are embracing as they're on their way to their martyrdom, even though their martyrdom was not the same day exactly. And the, the classic image shows their faces touching each other as they, you know, as they embrace, but their eyes do not meet, which symbolizes the relationship of the two apostles, one a fisherman, the other a Roman citizen. Their opinions on the faith had slightly diverged, and their visions were slightly different. However, they embrace, and that embodies the unity and the acceptance of each other. It's, it's as though those two visions could be reconciled in this embrace. I remember in Calabianca, there was the vestibule of Our Lady of the Angels. You would walk in, and then you would go down a flight of stairs to enter into a kind of a secondary vestibule. And on the way down, there was a landing, and there was a beautiful, massive Baroque painting of Peter and Paul kind of falling into an embrace. It's a beautiful painting. And it kind of reminds you of unity. You have to keep unity. And um, there is also another famous uh, representation that is not as frequent, but it's an artifact that you see sometimes in early archaeology. And it's a, it's a bronze hanging lamp in the shape of a ship. So it's like a, it's like a, a ship and there's a sail. And it shows St. Paul standing at the prow, piloting the ship. With Peter on the other side, seated in the stern at the tiller, the rudder. So that together they are guiding the church through the sea of life. Now you might think, well, if you're at the head of the, of the ship, you're the guy sort of leading the ship. But if you don't have anybody at the rudder, I mean, you're just going to crash into the next uh, iceberg. No? But, uh, but there's Peter. He said, okay, we're going this way, we're going that way. <laughs> but Paul is saying, no, no, go move this way. And then Peter actually does the, the moving or the, the steering, if you like.
And Pope Benedict has often underlined that the Catholicity of the Church and the unity of the Church go together. Maybe Paul represents uh, the Catholicity as he went off to the Gentiles. Peter represents the unity you know, that bringing us all together. Which is more important? Which is more important? Obviously, they're both necessary together. But in the end, like that kiss of peace, they work together to contribute and signify our real Catholicity. Not just in the world, but even a Catholicity or a unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Brings the old and the new together. Pope Benedict said, like Paul, Peter also came to Rome, to the city that was a center where all the nations converged. And for this very reason, he could become, before any other, the expression of the universal church of the gospel. As he started out on his journey from Jerusalem to Rome, he must clearly have felt guided by the voices of the prophets, by faith and by the prayer of Israel. It's a beautiful image, Jerusalem being kind of the center of religion, the center of the people of Israel. Now, Peter says, no, okay, that's good. But now that old alliance is finished. We must move on. And he went to Jerusalem. Guided by the prophets. Guided even by the Psalms. Both dimensions, this Catholicity, which is Rome, the unity with the Old Testament, become visible in these two figures of the apostles and that show us the consequent characteristics of the church. She is apostolic. That's such a an essential feature of the church. She comes from the apostles, both Peter and Paul, and of course all the others. Because the Lord established the 12 apostles just as the sons of Jacob were 12. That's the unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 12 Jacob, 12 apostles. And by doing so, he was representing them as leaders of the people of God and henceforth Universal from the time he was, uh, he has included all the peoples. Saint, in fact, Saint, uh, Saint Mark tells us that Jesus called the apostles so as to be with him and to be sent out. It's a, it's a strange line, it's almost a contradictory line. Jesus called the apostles to be with him, but he also called them to, to, to be sent out. We would say either they stay with him or they are sent forth and sent out on their travels. So St. Gregory, Pope Gregory the Great, says also a word about angels that helps us resolve this, this apparent contradiction. He says that angels are always sent out and at the same time they are always in the presence of God. He says, whenever they are sent, wherever they go, they always journey on in, in God's heart. Just as 
the angel was sent to Peter to help him go out, go out of that prison. And yet, he was always with God. The angel was always with God. The angel was guiding him and he was in that profound presence of God. That's why we must always have recourse to our guardian angel when we're afraid, when we have to go out. You know, that, that angel is in the presence of God. But these two figures, well, Peter and Paul, are ultimately amongst the most important in, in the history of, of the faith, of the Christian faith. Paul's influence is primarily through Scripture, because, well, we know his, his epistles form the bulk of the New Testament. But Peter, his influence is more ecclesiastical, the church itself, when from when our Lord said, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Of course, the, pill, the pillar of the church, but the church can't breathe, can't survive without its scriptures. So what are we going to draw from today's, um, today's feast? Well, given that we always have an angel with us, given that we always have St. Peter and St. Paul, it has to give us a lot of courage to be dynamic in our apostolate, in our personal apostolate. It has to give us courage. St. Josemaria said in the way, courage, you can, don't you see what God's grace did with sleepy-headed Peter, the coward who had denied him, and with Paul, his fierce and relentless persecutor. I mean, what do you do with somebody who is always sleeping in? And what do you do with somebody who seems to be so zealous to destroy you? You convert them into the pillars. Uh, you wouldn't think that it would be helpful to have a sleepy pillar or a fierce, indomitable enemy, but that's what our Lord did. And he can do that with us, especially when we see our, our lack of ability, our sleepiness itself, our laziness, or just our fear. There's something about that phrase in which St. Josemaria puts those two together, something about that phrase that, that gives us security, solidity, courage. He says in that homily in Love with the Church, he said, love for the Roman pontiff must be in us a delightful passion, for in him we see Christ. The delightful passion. And indeed, anytime you go to Rome and you have a chance to see the Pope, it's always a delightful passion. Everybody gets unnerved, everybody gets excited. Like Trent Horn, a famous Catholic apologist who had been Protestant, he recounts that he went with his wife to Rome the year that they got married, and they went in the subway to go to St. Peter's Square, and she was still wearing her wedding dress, and he said that people were looking at them in the, in, the, in the metro, what are you doing here with your wedding dress? And he was dressed very elegantly as well, and they went to the audience, hoping to get a good seat, but they weren't sure, and when the security guard saw them, saw her with her wedding dress, uh, he waved at her to come, and he placed her 
placed both of them there in a seat right very close to where the Pope was coming. And indeed, at one point, the Pope was coming and the same security guard moved them right there in front of the Pope. He said, Trent Horn says, my, my stomach felt as if it was full of pins and needles. And when the Pope finally met us, I was at a loss for words. This is a guy who doesn't stop talking. I mean, he talks and talks and talks, but then the Pope is there, he doesn't know what to say. So my wife skipped past the formalities and just gave him a big hug, which the Pope's security detail was not happy about, although it did make the Pope laugh. No, our, our father too was very moved when he went to Rome in 1946. And it's, it's a beautiful image also when he went there, he was going from Spain, going to Rome, it was like somewhat like a dream. You remember after the ordination of the first three priests, Don Alvaro went to Rome to find ways of explaining what the work was. And uh, he, he finally asked our father that, well, I need, I need you, I need you, the founder now, to come and explain because I've hit a, I've hit a wall here. And so our father at first wanted to take the train, but then in the end, you know, Europe was quite destroyed. The trains weren't working that well, so he took uh, took this uh, this famous boat, the JJ Sister. But on his way there, he went to Montserrat, and then he went to Barcelona. He stayed at a center called La Clinica, and he preached that famous meditation where he quoted from Saint Peter. Lord, we have left all things. To whom shall we go? This was at a time of great, uh, well, uncertain, uncertainty as to whether or not he would be accepted. But to whom shall we go? We'll go to Peter. We'll go to Peter. Because it is sure that the Lord is with him. Let's ask for that same, um, that same security, that same drive to always be very united to St. Peter, to pray for the Pope, to be there, you know, to be happy that we are under the umbrella of St. Peter and, of course, also St. Paul. Today is a great feast to pray for the Pope, his successor, the successor of St. Peter. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Heart, we're still in heart and conscience free. How sweet would be